0: Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39, if you guys want to turn there, I'll do the same. Um, There it is. So um, I wanted to start, though, I got a chance to meet with a friend of mine this week, um, and he was asking me, like, he goes, tell me about the church that you're working at now. Um, And so for the next, I don't know, half hour, um, I got a chance to brag on you guys. And I, I just wanted to share that because... Um, you know, I've worked in a couple of different churches in the last, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 years since Bible college. Um, and you guys, you're something else. You're something very unique. Um, this is the first church that I've ever worked at that is a yes church, right? Like I come to the leadership and I say, hey, I have this really crazy idea. Um, and they're like, yes, it's crazy. Um, no, they, they're like, yes, let's do it. Um, we, we might have to find a way to do it, but let's do it, right? And um it's, it's incredible. I go to the parents of the teenagers that we work with, and uh, <clears throat> I'm like, hey, this is what we're going to do? And they're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's, this is awesome. And you guys are a group of yes people, and so it's really refreshing. Um, you know, we have a, a worship team, several worship teams that have stepped in to fill a void, um, and that's been incredible. Uh, I think that's the way God works, oftentimes, is when a void is created, he, he fills it, um, you know, as, especially as we wait for, for whoever God has in mind for that position. Um, gosh, you know, it's just, it's amazing to see, even through COVID, when churches were closing their doors, um, we grew, and I think a lot of it had to do with the hearts, the condition of the hearts of the people in this church, and the fact that God chose to bless that. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit, uh, Luke chapter one, about reactions. It seems to be all about reactions. Um, you know, we have uh, Zachariah's reaction, we have Mary's reaction, we got Elizabeth's reaction, um, and so I just wanted to examine that real quick. Um, I, in my life, I've reacted well to some things, and I've also reacted poorly to some things, and I wanted to share that with you. Um, oh, and a. a, a a pastor's secret for you guys. Whenever we talk about our marriage and our spouses, it's always with permission, right? Um, so I did talk to Nadia last night, and I was like, "Hey, let's let's um, go over what I'm going to talk about because I don't want anything to surprise you." And um, and she helped me remember some of the details uh, as well from, from the past, make sure I had it accurate. But um, you know, there were there's been a few times that um, I've reacted well to things. There was one time in particular that um, Nadia and I were talking about last night that. Um, So uh, when we were fairly newly married, uh, Nadia's brother, Emmanuel, um, we wanted to do something special for a a birthday present for him. Um, And he's a violinist, and a really talented one. And I wanted to kind of give him a violin, but not just any violin. I wanted to recondition a really old beat-up violin into something new and amazing and beautiful. It's something I've always wanted to do is to like recondition um, an old instrument. So I found this one on, on Craigslist, and it was just beat up. Um, had all kinds of scratches and dings and water stains and who knows, right? So we sanded it down. Um, we spent weeks on this thing. We sanded it down. We got all the dents out. Um, if you put, um, like, beeswax on certain parts of things, it'll bring the dent out so that it's nice and smooth, and you re-sand it again, and you recondition it. Um, you blow the dust out of the crevices so that the sound resonates better, um, then we, we painted it, and we did it, and so my brother-in-law, Emmanuel, was really, at th- that time, into racing cars. That was his big thing. Anything to do with speed. So we painted these beautiful, like, blue ghost flames over a black satin finish, and we spent hours and hours and hours on this thing. Of course, this was before Caleb, so we had hours and hours and hours to spend on something as crazy as refinishing an old violin. Um, but it was really fun. It was something that brought us together. We had a lot of time invested in this. Um, and not, when Nadia was doing her part of it, I was at work at that point, and she was um, doing something, and, and it didn't quite work out well, where um, she put another coat over something that hadn't quite cured yet. And when um, paints and solvents and things, that when they haven't cured yet, they're still off-gassing, right? So she was putting a hard shell over some paint that hadn't finished off-gassing, and so it created bubbles underneath the hard shell. And she went, oh, no. And so she's like, I I can fix this. And so she started sanding on it to get the bubbles off. Well, it hadn't cured yet, so it smeared everything all over. And she went, oh, no. (laughs) She goes, Josh is going to be so mad at me because we have so much time invested in this. And this was his vision for this present. And we only have a little bit of time before Emmanuel's birthday. And she's like, oh, man, and and he's going to be home like any minute now. So I walked through the door, and there's my wife. Um, sitting in a chair which it was odd to begin with because she's usually buzzing around doing things and I said well how was your day she's like not good like, Uh-oh. <laughs> and she's like I have a confession to make I think I ruined the violin and I had a moment where I had the choice to make I could either be absolutely infuriated or I could do something different and special and and she went on to explain what she did and, you know, that she knew it was foolish and that it wasn't the right thing to do. And then she tried to fix it and it made it worse. And, and um, it's, it's interesting because my reaction is something she remembers to this day very specifically. I said, hey, it's okay. We can fix it. No problem. And she got, it, like, really quiet. She was not expecting that. She was expecting just like me being really, and I don't explode, but I would probably get really quiet and be kind of grumpy about it, but I was like, no, no big deal. And I said, you, you know, you go rest, I'll strip the paint off, we'll start over from new, from fresh, we'll put more time into it. it. It's really not a big deal. Because at that moment, I realized the big deal was how my wife was feeling about it, right? So that was that was a good reaction. I also um, have had bad reactions. So. A couple years ago, um, my wife was going back to school, and so I needed to take over some of the household chores. And one of those chores was one of the things that I dread the most in life is laundry. (sighs) Yeah. And so um, I don't mind doing like the washer and dryer, because that's easy, right? You throw it in there, put your soap in, you know, there's the whole thing, and it's all very automated. But uh, the folding part, Right, So the way I kind of grew up and the way that things happened for me as a young man in college was that I was really lucky to get to this point. I was like, yeah, I spent some time, man. Yeah, because normally it was at this point. I was like, and, you know, I do the young man like, yep, it's clean, (laughs) right? Smells good, it's clean, I'll put it on. And the wrinkles, they do. They come out as you wear it, okay? I will fight you on that, okay? They, they do, they come out, especially if you just wear cheap cotton clothing like I did. Um, and so my wife, you know, she, it's not that way, laundry, um, and it, if you read the book on love languages, there's a, a page that got torn out at some point about the love language of laundry. Okay? It's there, right, gals? I know that you can back me up on this. And so she, would, she decided that she was going to teach me to educate me on how to fold laundry, okay so I love my wife dearly and I was like okay you can teach me how to fold laundry so she goes okay show me how you fold laundry so I was like okay great that, that there you go like yeah I can do this right I can take this over don't worry about it babe I got it covered right she's like no no (laughs) So I'll, I'll do my, my best to illustrate how she does it. I still never, um, but she's like, no, you got to do this, right? You got to make sure the shoulders match up and that the sleeves match up. And then you, you got to fold it like this, right? Okay, and then you bring it up, but you got to make sure that these match up, right? Otherwise, they're going to get just a funky crease, okay? Right, like this, you got to smooth it out and you got to do it while it's still warm coming out of the dryer. Right? And she's like this, and I'm like, yeah, that's what I did. She's like, no. So I was like, okay, let, I'll I'll do it again so that you can see that I do it the way you do it, right? There you go, right? I don't see a difference. She's like, there's a huge difference. And I say, you know what? My laundry, my way, right? That was a really poor reaction. On my part, okay, um, I, I have since changed my evil ways, I promise, and I, I do the laundry in our house, and I do it when it's still warm coming out of the dryer, and if I miss the buzzer or something, I, I redo it. So I, I have changed my evil ways, but that moment was not a high point in my husband career. Um, I reacted poorly, I was really frustrated, and I, I laid down the law, my laundry my way, which was one of the dumbest things I've said in my life, but... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, we're going to back up a little bit. Where, yes, we are starting in verse 39, but I want to take a look at a couple of different reactions. Verse 18, we see Zachariah, right? How did Zechariah react to the news of his, um, what was once barren wife going to bear a child? You know, if I can paraphrase it, he said, prove it, <laughs> right? Um, I've had those moments with God. (laughs) In fact, um, I've had several of those moments with God. And fortunately, God did not strike my voice away like he did with Zachariah. And I I think it's interesting that it was his voice that got taken away. So for for about 14 or 13 years, I was a behavioral specialist for the city of Eugene. So I learned very early on in that career the difference between consequences and, and punishment I didn't know the difference as a young man. I kind of thought it was all punishment, and consequences was just a really educated way to say punishment. But there are two different things, right? Consequences are are a natural illustration of what you did wrong, right? They're intended to fix what you did wrong. Punishment punishment (laughs) makes the punisher feel good, right? And the person being punished sometimes gets a little confused as to why. So God, in his wisdom gave a consequence to Zechariah. was Zechariah's voice, he challenged God. And so God said, all right, you challenged me with your voice, I'm going to take your voice away so that you can think about what you did. Anybody ever say that to your kids? I'm like, you need to think about what you did. Man, I said that to Caleb just the other day coming home from school. I'm like, you need to be quiet and think about what you did. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I guess I'm officially a dad, right? Um, and so that's what God was doing Is that correct? I'm going to make you think about what you did. And then you have the response of, let's say, Mary, right? And we're going to look at this. Uh, You know, in verse 34, she, she didn't say prove it. She just was like, well, okay, I believe you, but how? Right? Her curiosity was around the mechanics of the thing. Like, I'm going to bear a child, I, I know how this works, this has not, you know, A and B have not happened to get C yet, God. How, how, I yeah, believe you, but how? Oh my goodness, right? And we don't see Mary's voice being taken away. So there's a very subtle difference in that reaction. You see uh, the response of Joseph back in Matthew chapter 1 verse 19, um, probably Mary told him the news, and his reaction was probably, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you're pregnant by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you're crazy. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you away because I still think you're pretty cool, but you're nuts, right? There, there's also a, a timing issue that I want to address for a moment. Um, so the angel appears to Mary. Mary has her reaction, like, "Wow, this is amazing." As you, you know, as you say it was, so it shall be. But how? Oh, my goodness, this is a lot to take in. And then she goes and sees Elizabeth, right? I always wondered, at what point did she tell Joseph? It could, have, you know, it could have been before she took the trip. The trip was about 80 miles as the crow flies. So roads don't usually go as the crow flies. They're kind of windy to go over mountains. So it was probably a little bit more than 80 miles. More than likely, she traveled either with a caravan or with a relative. So it was a long trip, And so I'm wondering, did she tell Joseph before? And then Joseph had all this time, three months, basically, to think about, like, oh, my gosh, this is really big. Uh, What should I do about it? Or did she tell Joseph after? So she had three months. She had this reaction. It was like, boom, here's this news. She had this, I need to go see a friend. (laughs) We've all had that moment where something big happens, and the first thing you think of is, i got to call somebody because this is too big for my head. My head's exploding. I need to go download this to somebody. So it could have been that she told Joseph afterwards, after she was able to wrap her mind around all that happens. The Bible doesn't actually directly tell us either way, but I think there's implications that are important to consider either way. If Mary told Joseph right off the bat, okay, the, the implication around that is that then Joseph had, like, a long time to think about this and to consider his options which at the time were very limited, right? If Mary waited the three months and then told Joseph, it shows us a different side of Mary. You know, The world has painted Mary to be this picture of perfection, right, this 12, 13, 14 year old gal that is absolutely pristine and perfect and amazing and I think she was still a human. She had a a good reaction with God but I think her head was still exploding with this information, I can't even fathom how to handle something like that. So I, I bring this up because I would love for you guys to consider it. It's been very thought provoking for me, and the implications of either situation are really important to consider. But from the pulpit, what I can tell you is that there's no concrete evidence either way. And I don't think that it changes the story enough to make it into some sort of argument. But I think it's important to take a look at. Right. so let's start reading in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Let me get there first. All right. It says a few days later, Mary hurried up the hill country, or to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zachariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child left within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So I got to tell you guys this: uh, when Nadia was pregnant with Caleb. We received some really bad news early on about his health, and we weren't sure that he was going to be carried to full term. So there was a lot of, like, really mixed emotions, and um, I struggled with it particularly. Nadia's faith around this whole thing was almost unshakable, but mine was really rocked. Um, and so when it was time for the baby to start kicking and, and bumping and stuff, I was really excited to, to feel some, like, reassurance of life there. Um, and it was funny because when Nadia would be like, oh, he's kicking, and I was like, oh, cool, and I'd come over, and he'd stop. I was like, oh, man, and then, you know, an hour later, oh, he's kicking, he's up, and I reached, and he'd stop, and it was like this game, and it, it ended up being kind of funny because it took me a long time to finally feel what it felt like, and then when it finally happened, uh, like, I put my belly there, or my hand <laughs> on her belly, and I could feel a full foot, <laughs> and it was the cutest thing ever. And apparently it was a really hard kick because Nadia was like, hey, quit that, you know. And, but it was a, this amazing sort of thing. And in the day and age that we live in with things like abortion and things like this, when we see um, a, a pre-born baby, okay, they, they call it a fetus now, and I think that dehumanizes it, but a pre-born baby having a reaction to the sound of a voice... I mean, I think I'm preaching to the choir a little bit, but it reminds us of the humanity from conception. Like, this is a person, right, that is reacting to an outside voice. Not just an outside voice, but a presence that didn't have a voice yet, right? Jesus. So it says that the baby leapt in her womb, which I think is amazing. Let me get back to where I was here. Okay. Okay. And then Elizabeth gave a glad cry and explained to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You were blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Okay, that last verse I think is really important. So does anybody remember what the evidence that the angel gave Mary that what this angel was saying was true. Anybody remember what the evidence was? I think you guys probably addressed it last week. Um, The evidence was Elizabeth's pregnancy, right? And the the group of verses before the ones that we're addressing, the angel said, so that you know that these words are true, right? So the whole trip down to see Elizabeth, I really think Mary was also considering like, man, this, this news is so amazing and incredible, and out of this world, And the angel said, and so that you know this is true, this is what's happening to your cousin Elizabeth. She's like, I gotta see this for myself. You know, this is really early on in Mary's pregnancy. She's probably not even feeling sick yet. So she's gonna go check it out. And I think at that moment... That's when Mary really believed what was going on. And here's what I can draw out of this, you guys. God blesses faith, and it's important that we have faith, but God in his infinite wisdom and the fact that he designed us and knows everything about us also gives us proof. We we see no doubt in Mary's mind, but this proof really concreted in her head what was going on. I I seek proof from time to time. I have, unlike Mary, I have doubts all the time. And different people see proof in different things. For me, I love going out in the nature. I go out in the mountains, I go on the river, and I see God in creation and the things that he's done. You know, I love floating the river. I was a whitewater raft guide for a long time. And as you float the river, you see the river otters. And a family of river otters, you'll see fish, you see birds. Um, If you float the McKinsey, you see how... God's designed nature to recover after something as incredible as a forest fire. And it's it's recovering so fast. I see it every year. And for me, that concretes the existence of God in my head. God has used me, He used me to heal my son after he was born. And I remember that moment in the times that I'm just like, man, I don't know where God is in this. And Fortunately, God gives us these little evidences to back up our faith, to shore up our faith. And I think that's something that we can draw from this is that Mary, when she saw the reaction of Elizabeth, she's like, man, okay, here we go. The other thing I want you to take a look at with Mary is that she was raised in this culture, a culture that said if you go out and you have extramarital relations and especially if you get pregnant and you're caught you are going to be stoned in the street not only will your husband probably put you away um, most likely he's going to put you away publicly and you will die in the street for the sake of his reputation so she also had this thing in the back of her head probably right after the angel got done talking to her she said well <laughs> like whoa like yes i am honored and this is incredible I think part of Mary's question, like, how is this going to happen is also, how are you going to save me from the consequences of what's going to happen in my culture? I, I believe you. I don't see how. I don't get it. Right? I've had those moments, too. I remember when I was first called in the ministry when I was in high school. I was on a mission trip. Uh, My youth pastor had taken us on a mission trip when we were doing vacation Bible schools in eastern Oregon and southern Washington to churches that couldn't afford to do them. And there was one night, I'll never forget it, in Walla Walla, Washington, we were sleeping on the floor of this old dusty church. There was thunder and lightning outside, there was a a dry storm coming through. And I just felt this huge calling on my heart. And I went to my youth pastor, I woke him up at like 2.30 in the morning and I said, Pastor Dean... I think God's calling me into the ministry. And you know what I expected him to do? I expected him to be like, oh, that's amazing. This is so cool. I was expecting him to teach me the secret handshake and give me a key to the church. And I got to go to the fancy bathroom now and all these things that are, right? And you know what he said? He said, Josh, is there anything else in this world that you could do as a profession and it would make you happy? (laughs) He said, because the ministry is hard. You're not going to make any money. In fact, you'll probably have to pay money to be in the ministry. And it's going to be hard on your family. And it's going to be hard on your marriage. And it's going to be hard on your kids. Are you sure? Right? And that took me aback. I was like, whoa. <laughs> okay. And I, I had a lot of moments between then and now that I didn't know how God was going to accomplish this. There was like a lot of years that I was a tent maker. I, I logged for a while. That was rough. Whew. Um, I, was, I built log cabins right after Bible college as I was looking for churches, um, and building log cabins is not glamorous, and it is hard work, and it's dusty work. Um, I was a firefighter for quite a while, um, jet boat driver, which was really fun. Uh, I was a behavior specialist for a long time. So there's a lot of things that I did, and I was like, God, I, I believe you. I still remember that calling just as, as fresh as it was yesterday, but I don't know how you're going to get me there because it's been a long time. So I think that's something else that you can really draw from that. So let's, let's take a look. So you got Elizabeth's reaction, right? Um, sometimes we get to be Elizabeth to other people where they're, they're having a hard time. They come to us for advice. They come to spend time with us, and they tell us something, and we have a moment where we can either be like the violin situation and be like, yeah, all right, let's do this. Or you can be like folding in shirts and be like, uh. I have my own problems too, (laughs) right? Let me tell you about my problems in hopes that it'll make your problems look less bad. I've been there. All right, so we're back here. Um, So we're going to look at uh, verse 46. It's called Mary's Magnificent. And the reason that it's called that, I believe it's the third word in the original language, is to magnify. So this is Mary's response. Another response, right? Says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all the generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. And sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he made his promise to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his children forever. Whew. <laughs> so here's Mary, 12, 13, 14 years old. And she's just gotten this bomb dropped on her life. And, and yeah, I mean, she feels honored. And she knows, right? In that culture, every Jewish girl was taught that the Messiah was coming. The Messiah was coming. That phrase was permeated through the entire culture. Okay? It, it was people were watching for this. And she just got word that she was going to be the way by which the Messiah was coming. She knew what that angel was talking about. But she also knew the consequences. She also knew the hurdles. She also knew how big this problem was. And it was a problem. How was she going to survive? How was the baby going to survive? How was this baby going to grow up with or without a dad? All these things are going through her head. And she goes to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth says, Oh my God, you are so blessed. And now I'm blessed because you're here. And then Mary has this reaction where she realizes that the size of her problem is only dictated by the size of her savior, of her creator. And that, you guys, is such a takeaway for this. The size of our problems are so much smaller than the size of our God, and I think this is the moment when Mary realized that. Let's take a little bit more of a look at it, right? So her soul sings praises to God. Her soul rejoices, right? James tell us, tells us to consider all the different trials as joy. I've always struggled with that verse, okay? Um, when I was in high school, our youth group m- memorized the entire first chapter of James, and I always kind of said that, but I never really, like I wanted to put it into practice, <laughs> right? I really did. And um, finally, I think my dad was who it was. He explained to me the difference between a trial and a consequence, He said, consequences are brought on by your mistakes. Trials are not brought on by your mistakes. Trials are something you encounter, regardless of whether you're doing something good or bad. So don't rejoice in consequences. Those are not intended to be rejoiced in. Those are intended to be learned from, right? Because as a young man, when you're being you know having to live out the consequences of your actions you're like oh my god these trials and you're like no those are not trials <laughs> those are just how life works but right so mary is learning to rejoice in a trial and yes this was a huge blessing and she realized that it was a huge blessing but because she re- she understood her culture this was a trial she didn't know how this was going to work out and she started to rejoice in it And then she says, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. This gives us an idea of what kind of family Mary comes from, right? Very simple. Joseph, we call him a carpenter, the direct translation is craftsperson, craftsman. So probably he dealt with wood, he dealt with stone, he dealt with all kinds of different materials. Um, A valued profession in that time, but there were a lot of people who were craftsmen. It was a skilled profession, Right? But it was not a super highly paid profession. And probably he spent a lot of time away from home traveling to different cities to get work and things like that. So this was um, very much a blue-collar family, if we can even call it that. Okay? And I think there's a reason that God chose that to deliver the Savior. <laughs> right? I think it makes it so much more approachable to the broader spectrum of folks. I'm thankful for that, because if he chose some like, princess to do that, I think it would change the story quite a bit. And then it goes on to say in verse 49, for the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. So there's some recognition of past things, and probably when she said that he's done great things for me, she's not just talking about the news she just got. Probably she's looking back on the things in her life that God has done for her and her family, and she's bringing that forward into the present and saying, man... If God has done those things, whew, he can accomplish this. Do you guys remember when you were younger, um, younger than you are right now, and you believed that your father or your father figure could do anything? Right. I grew up. Uh, my dad took us hunting and fishing and all the outdoor stuff. My brother and I. Um, and I, yeah, I remember thinking like, my dad is like Superman, man. He could do anything. I watched him. Drag deer out of the deepest canyon. I watched him swim, you know, in water to fetch fishing poles that I dropped in the river. Uh, and he, I mean, really, and I felt safe. I knew that if I fell in, my dad would grab me. He would go and get me. So I, I didn't grow up in fear because I knew my dad was just this incredible, amazing thing. And as I got older, I started to realize that my dad was a man. And he was fallible, And as a teenager, you start to believe that all he is is fallible. (laughs) And then you fortunately come through the cycle of things, you start to appreciate the things that he he did and has done. But I think our relationship with God is a little bit inverse. We start out kind of like, yeah, we're told God can do anything, but boy, I don't know. And then as the older we get, the more we realize that, man, God really can do anything, and he has done everything. And, you know, we progress and our faith gets stronger, and that's the way it ought to be, right? We start, I've seen God do incredible things. I've seen him heal. I've seen him take things away. I've seen him provide things. And now when things come across my plate, my panic is a little bit shorter than it used to be <laughs> because I've seen and I've understood and I've heard and I've touched and I've felt. And again, God understanding that we are human beings, he wants us to have faith, but he gives us Something to back that faith up, something to shore it up. And I think that's what Mary's doing here. And then uh, in verse, looks like 50, yep. He shows mercy from generation to generation and all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He's brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and he's sent the rich away with empty hands. I like that verse, he's filled the hungry with good things. I like that it says that, that it doesn't say he fills the hungry with good food. Because it gives us just a little bit of a different illustration, right? He fills the hungry with good things. He doesn't, she doesn't say he fills everybody with good things. She says he fills the hungry. Right? I can I can draw some application out of that in that. Are you hungry? <laughs> Are you really hungry? Um, I got a chance to talk to Arturo, who was the, the young man that we brought up from the Dominican Republic, to to take a look at us in the church. And he said, you know, it's it's much easier to be a Christian in the Dominican Republic than it is to be a Christian in the United States. And I'd never heard that before. I was like, well, why? He's like, because you guys have everything here. You, you really don't have to rely on God for much. I mean, maybe there could be like a rough week or a rough month or you might have some problem that comes up, but it's like when you come from a country that has very little, and that what little you have, the government might take away from you at any point in time, you actually have to rely on God. Like, you're forced into a position of faith. And I think it makes you hungry. You know, And so when Mary says he fills the hungry with good things and sends the rich away with empty hands. Take a look at that verse. Now, I want to talk to you guys something really important as we interpret these things. Um, I learned a new term as I've been studying for the last couple of months on um, music and what we're going to be doing with music uh, in the youth group and Examining that, but I came across a term that I'd never heard. It's fairly new. They didn't teach it in Bible college, but it's a, a twist off of the term exegesis. So, exegesis is how you critically read a text and interpret something, right? This, is, this term is called narcissism, stemming from the word narcissistic, right? The, the love of oneself and talking about oneself. And narcissism is reading yourself into the Bible. And the the best illustration, I was trying to think, like, how can I illustrate this? The best illustration I can give you is that when Jesus tells the disciples to go fishing to catch fish to pay their taxes, right? The money was in the fish's mouth. Narcissus would say, okay, well, I'm a follower of Christ, um, so I should go fishing and catch fish to get money for my taxes. Because that's what the disciples did. And I'm reading myself into that text. And I realize that that sounds really silly, but this is something that is super common. And it's a little bit of a yeast that's infiltrating the church and how pastors are interpreting the Bible. And I want to warn you guys against that. Okay, So when we read this, this verse, he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. Be really careful not to insert yourself into how you are pulling the truth out of the text. You can apply it to your life. That is something very different. For instance, the fishing story, right? How can we apply that to our lives? When there is a need, God sometimes provides an answer in ways that we could never expect. Because that is true. He did that for the disciples. And he does that for us sometimes on a daily basis. I didn't read myself into that story. I was able to pull some application out from my life. So same way, we need to pull application out for this. Are we hungry? Okay, what it isn't saying is that I need to give away all my money so that I don't have anything to eat and God will provide everything I need and if I am rich, I'm not going to get anything. Okay, that would be reading myself into that text and that's bad exegesis. But we can ask ourselves, are we hungry? And what are we hungry for? Are we hungry for money? Are we hungry for family? If you're single, are you hungry for a spouse? What is the thing that drives you when you wake up in the morning? Are you hungry for God? He will fill you with good things. And I want you to remember that as I talk about my bucket here in a second. So he has helped in in verse uh, 54. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful for he has made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. So this bucket here, okay, I love this. So my son helped me come up with this. Um, His teacher at Eugene Christian School um, was talking about um, some of the interpersonal things with young people, and she said, you know, your life is like a bucket. Some days you feel full and happy and good, and some days your bucket's a little bit empty, and you just kind of feel empty, and she's, she's teaching him about feelings and everything else, and it's like, man, I love that. And so when we talk after I pick him up from school, I was like, how's your bucket? He's like, well, I had a rough day. My bucket's a little empty today. It's like, good. You recognize it. You talk to me about it. That's great communication. Some days it's like, it was awesome. Recess was great. Lunch was great. My bucket is full. That's the only thing that's important. (laughs) So I looked at this. I was like, okay, I got a bucket. Um, Our bucket in our life is always full of something. right? Mary's bucket got bumped. And it got bumped Hard. Right? Sometimes my bucket is full of not so good things. So when my bucket, get, I thought about filling it with water, but I'm like, you know, there's all these electronics up here. Um, if my bucket were to get bumped by somebody and my bucket's not full of good things, like, I don't know, somebody cuts me off on the road with my son in the back. Um, in fact, I'll tell you this. This is my transparent moment of the day. So I took Pastor Charlie's son, Drew, fishing. Not too long ago, somebody cut us off. I had a drift boat attached to the back of the jeep. I had my son, my pastor's son, and me in the jeep. Somebody cut me off, and you know what I said? Drew sitting in the passenger seat, my son sitting in the back of the booster seat. I said, "You know what, guys? Life is hard. It's even harder when you're an idiot." <sighs> Funny, but <laughs> what was in my bucket was not pretty at that moment because I got bumped. And some not-so-pretty things came out. (laughs) What we see is Mary's bucket got bumped. She got some crazy news. And what we see that was in Mary's life was what came out in her Magnificent, in her piece of poetry that she said when she was filled with the Holy Spirit. It was things that magnified God. It was things that acknowledged his goodness. It was things that proved his bigness, how much bigger he was than her problems were. And I want to challenge you guys. If you guys find yourself, when you get cut off, something pops out of your mouth. That is a bump moment. It should show you what's in your heart for just a brief moment. In fact, the the Bible talks a little bit about that. You know, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever is in your heart will come out of your mouth. And, man, that has always been a really convicting concept for me. Because not always what comes out of my mouth is wholesome and good. Sometimes I am tired. And I think those are the moments that really show what's in our bucket. You know, when... I got cut off with two very important people in the Jeep with me. Um, You know, if I'm sitting there, Jesus loves you, this right now, (laughs) right? Something silly like that. But if my heart was full of things that were good and wholesome, that is what would have come out of my mouth at that moment. My son does something really irritating, and instead of losing my temper and letting him have it in that moment, I take that moment to use it as a teachable moment, even though I'm irritated, I can acknowledge that (laughs) I'm irritated and walk through him with it because my bucket is full of something good. Right? We have Elizabeth, we have these two really amazing women that their buckets were full of something good. And you have Zachariah, whose bucket should have been full of something good. And it wasn't. Because what came out of his mouth was doubt. Prove it. It was attitude. His bucket got bumped. Even though it was good news, it still got bumped. It was big news. What came out was not something that was wholesome, because he got a consequence. So, again, I, I want to challenge you guys in this. You know, Mary, I think, was as human a person as any of us. I think she was blessed. I think she got a chance to do some really amazing things. Um, you know, Jesus even corrected a few people that started to worship Mary later on in the, in the book. And he said, you know, this isn't what we're after here, but examining what Mary's life, especially right after she received this big news, can really teach us a lot. So I want you guys this week to, to take a moment, examine your reactions. Reactions are so important. Um, they can create a foundation or they can tear it down. Just those brief, brief reactive moments. Fortunately, we serve a redemptive God. And if you have a bad reaction, it's not the end of the world. Something you'll have to fix, something you'll have consequences you'll have to deal with. But what it is is telling, this symptomatic of how you are living your life, what are you full of at that moment, where's your bucket at? Now, what I tell the teenagers (laughs) when I teach them something is that now you don't have an excuse. Ignorance is no longer an excuse. It probably wasn't before this either, but it really isn't now. So if you find yourself reacting in a way that isn't wholesome and you're like, oh man, my bucket is not full of the things that it should be right now, then now you have no excuse. Now you know where it comes from. Now you know that that reaction wasn't just because you're tired. It wasn't just because the situation was hard. It wasn't just because the problem was big. It's because your bucket wasn't full of something wholesome at that moment. So what do we do? We fill it. There's a man by the name of Jason Nightingale. And I encourage you guys to, to YouTube him. He's passed away since. But when I was in high school, we went to a winter youth conference. And he was, he's a preacher. He was a traveling preacher and a biker. big dude, huge presence on the stage. And his sermons were not of his own making. He would recite scripture, which to a high school kid would be like, so boring. Give me something original. I've heard this over and over again. But when he would recite scripture, it was so exciting. He recited from memory the entire chapter, or sorry, the entire book of Revelations from beginning to end. And an entire room of about 800 teenagers sat silently in awe for the two hours that it took him to do that. (laughs) It's incredible. And we got a chance to take him out to lunch as a youth group afterward. And we're like, why do you do this? Like, that is a lot of work to memorize that much scripture. You could just read it. And he said, you know, with the life that I used to live, I realized that in order to keep that life away, I needed to fill that void with something good. And so I started to memorize scripture. Because that was the only thing that would keep me from going back, is if I filled it with something else. And I've taken that and I've used that in my life too. If, if I'm struggling with something and I need to give it up, boy, I better fill it with something else because it'll come back with a rush if I don't. So as you, I see what's, what's in your bucket and you're like, boy, I had a bad reaction, I should probably fill it with something good, dump out the bad, and then the key, you guys, is to fill it with something good. And here are some opportunities. We need help with the children's ministry. It is growing. We have over 100 kids in Awanas right now, it's amazing. The teen teen groups are growing, the youth group is growing. We need help with greeters, we need help with home groups. We have a problem in our church, it's a good problem. It's awesome that we're growing and we need help. So if your bucket is spilling over with things that you're not proud of, this is a great way to fill it. Shameless plug, absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, some of you guys who are working in children's ministry are like, yes, he said something. <laughs> All right, you guys, let's pray real quick. Dear Lord, we we thank you for the freedom that we have to freely examine your word uh, without fear of somebody busting through the door. We pray for those who don't have that freedom right now, who have to study in fear and guarded. Uh, we thank you for that freedom. We pray that we would take advantage of it while we still have it that we would not take it for granted. Lord, we pray for those who couldn't be here this morning, that you protect them, be with them, and bless them. Lord, we pray that as we see what spills out of our bucket, that we'd have the wisdom to examine what just spilled out and to take a look and see what's in our bucket and what do we need to do about it. Give us the discipline to do something about what we have in our lives. Lord, give us the wisdom to examine how Mary reacted, how Elizabeth reacted, and examine how Zachariah reacted and how Joseph reacted. Help us be able to take that home so that we can choose how we react. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us, like Mary did. We pray that we'd be able to remember that on a daily basis, so that it's easier to fill our bucket with good things. In Jesus' name, Amen. And with us.